North Rock Podcast. Thank you very much. Um, this is a good day to be at North Rock. It's a good day to be at North Rock. Um, my heart, you know, I, I worked in the um, Spanish-speaking community for a number of years, and for the last 15, 20 years, I've been praying that God would open a church where they would hear the truth as as God has revealed it to me, and that they would be able to serve him with the same passion and love. And so to be able to stand at North Rock and to know that that's our future is an exciting time for me. So it's a good day to be here. Um, When I was asked to speak about Next Gen several weeks ago, um, I knew one thing. I had um, I'd known this young man kind of just very casually just by being around in the church, and I liked him. But at church camp this summer, when I went up to visit youth camp, um, the, the, past, the speaker said, everybody gather around their youth pastor and pray for them. And so I walked up to our youth pastor and was fully prepared to lead in prayer. And this young man began to pray and pray with such authority and passion that it blessed me. And so when Chad asked me if I would be willing to speak on this, I said, yes, but I know who I want to pray. And so I'm going to ask Trey Paw to come and join me. I know how to use it now. Hmm? I know how to use it now. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Lord God, we just ask that you bring the next generation of children and with full force that they know who you are Lord and that they fully grasp it that you're real and that you're not just some make-believe character that they were told as as babies Lord I just want you to enforce your will onto them and make them know that you're real it's not it's not just a belief it's a fact to them Lord I just want to see these kids be more into you than we ever were Lord and in Jesus name we pray amen See what I mean? I'm like, I I need that prayer. Um, I love Next Gen. Next Gen is anything cradle through college age. And it is an area that I have been passionate about most of my life, probably since I was a Next Gen. Um, It's an area that I've worked in all of those years in some capacity. And um, it never, ever seems to diminish to me. I'm as excited today as I was a few years ago when I started. Um, it's, it's a blessing to be able to stand at this stage of my life and see the work that God's done in the lives of young people. And um, it continued through a generation. So I'm excited to get to share with you. And uh, I'm going to try to, my husband was here last service. He said, just relax. Um, I do get nervous. I get cotton mouth, so I may have to stop and take a drink. I chewed gum last night, and our youth pastor very strictly told me not to ever do that again. (laughs) So I'm being obedient. Um, So we're going to start, and I want to have the first slide set up. And this word, if you can fill in the blanks, is my philosophy on next-gen ministry. Does anybody have any guesses? Proud? Promise? Prayer? Anybody? Precious. All of those words are true except for Pringle. <laughs> and then somebody must just be hungry. But the word is prepare. 
So many times when I ask people what our role is as parents or as leaders, I'm told protection, provision. But the Bible very clearly tells us that our role is to prepare, to train, to instruct, to impress, to remind. To remind them of who we know God is. Who we know God is. Number one. You know, we're in a, in a time when um, we are all about protection. We want everything to be equal. I can't stand to hear the phrase, it's not fair. Um, I like to say to people, God's not fair. He's just. <laughs> There's a difference. It's not fair, but he's God. We're all about protecting Nobody's feelings should ever get hurt. If somebody's feelings get hurt, there has to be some kind of recourse for it. We don't train them how to deal with their own feelings. We're all about protection. That's where the saying helicopter parent comes from, right? We're always hoovering. I didn't like the way they looked at him. How come they got chosen you didn't get chosen? We develop such weakness in our young people by doing that. God calls us to prepare it's harder to prepare than to protect. Protection and provision gives us some kind of sense of control, right? We can control the outcome. Preparation, not so easy, because sometimes we have to stand and watch them stumble. We have to see tears. We have to see struggle. We have to watch them make a mistake even when we know it's a mistake. We have to tell them things we don't want to tell them. But I'm reminded of when Jesus um, was preparing his disciples to leave, and he began to tell them, you'll be hated. People will hate you as they hate me. He prepared them. He said he prepared them so they wouldn't stumble. We're called to do no less with our next-gen students. The scripture clearly tells us that we're to prepare, and we're going to begin to see some scriptures go up behind me. We're not going to read all of them, but... It clearly tells us to prepare. Now, if you're sitting here with no children and you're like, woohoo, I am off the hook, right? It feels good to get those kids out of my home. I know. I'm counting down too. <laughs> oh, that's not good when you forget one of your children. But if you're sitting here and you're like, woohoo, I don't have any children at home. Maybe I haven't gotten there yet. Maybe I don't want to go there. Maybe my kids are gone. You know, a lot of these scriptures are directed toward a group of people. It was toward the, toward the nation, not toward a parent. So if you're a part of North Rock, if this is your church home, you have children. We have a lot of children. We have a lot of next-gen people. And that is our direction, is to prepare. Every single one of us play a part in that. So I like to say, if I've got children, you've got children. And I'd like to give you some more than others, but I won't. <laughs> so it is our responsibility as a church. The Bible says that children are a heritage. One of the definitions of heritage is something transmitted by or acquired from a predecessor. Can't have a heritage without a predecessor. We're predecessors. I don't really like the sound of that word, but we are. It cannot be acquired without that. 
So people, that's us. We're all in this together. Our heritage and our future depends on how we treat the next gen. Right? I've been in South Thornton in ministry for a number of years in one capacity or another, and I've watched as churches in this end of town have slowly closed their doors, sold their buildings, and a new group has come in. And one of the reasons why, because I visited those churches when I was working in the community, trying to get them to partner with us, is that we prioritized clean buildings, nice music, calm and quiet over the energy and the messiness and the volume of the next generation. We have to make room for them. We can have it all quiet, but if you really think about it, the only place that's really quiet is a grave. I'm not so ready to go there yet. They're our heritage. I want a rich heritage. I'd like to see more children in this building and then we have adults. Because that's our future. That's our hope. That's the hope of, of, of North Rock. That's the hope of our faith. That's the only hope. I lost my place. Hang on one minute. And I can't even see, so I don't know why I'm looking so intently at the paper. But <laughs> One of the things that, that struck me, I, I read a book a few years ago, and it was talking about why young people leave the church. And uh, I realized, that, you know, I realized um, things that I had done wrong in, in areas that I'd gotten sloppy. But the biggest one that stood out to me was that we like to tell people what to do, but we don't want to share our journey. You know, we're good at preaching. Don't do this, don't do that, do this, don't do that. And yet the scriptures tell us that we overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. You know what? We know the answers because we've been there. We've known what God can do because he's done it for us. We need to be willing to share that. We can't hide that. I'll share a little later, but you know what? I know how to work with kids because I was a hot mess as a kid. You know? That's where my heart comes from. I get suspicious at the kid who sits quietly. The kid drawing on the walls? I like that one. Are we willing to be vulnerable and real and honest and testify of what God has done for us? Are we willing to share our faith and the path that God has taken, and on us, taken us on to get to where we are? Are we just going to instruct? There's a difference between teaching somebody and training somebody. We need to train. We're called to train. And that means repetition. That means sitting beside somebody doing something in the most sloppy manner when I could do it twice as fast myself. But we're called to train. So, are you feeling overwhelmed? How do we train? How do I train my own children? How do I train the children of the church? Um, I wanted to make sure I could give you guys some thoughts on how we're doing it and even thoughts that you can take home. And even if you don't have children in your home, it's a good way to think about how you're training yourself. Okay? So, deep breaths. Drink a water and I'll be okay. The first one, we're going to look at the armor of God in Ephesians 6, 10 through 18. All right? Because we're equipping. 
The first thing he tells us is to put on the belt of truth. You know, when that was written, people wore tunics. And when they got ready to work or to battle, they would wrap their tunic up around them, they'd bring it up so they could move, they would tie a belt tightly around it so everything was secure, they would often hang weapons or tools from that belt, and they'd get busy. It ensured that everything was held in place, and it ensured that there was modesty. We're supposed to put on the belt of truth. We're supposed to help our kids put on the belt of truth. We need to give them a foundation and a place that they can hang their tools and their weapons. So we have to go back to the word of God. We have to say, this is the truth. Regardless of what's going on in the world or in your home or in your life, this is the truth. And if you hold everything in place with that truth, God can move. And you'll have the weapons and the tools to go through whatever you're going through. Right? Too many times we offer them plastic weapons. We tell them to fight fire with fire. We tell them to retaliate. You don't deserve that. You don't have to put up with that. Depends on what God's asking them to do. Let's help them put on the belt of truth. Teach them that, that we don't respond to situations that we walk in the truth of who we're called to be. There's a difference. The second one's harder. Truthfully, the second one's harder. Next, he asks us to put on the breastplate of righteousness. Now, the breastplate of righteousness covers all the vital organs. It It covers the organs that help us breathe, helps the blood circulate through our body, but it also covers the, the organs that remove waste and toxin. So, what is righteousness? Righteousness is the condition of being right and acceptable before God. It's not being socially acceptable. It's not looking right, dressing right, knowing how to say please and thank you. We spend a lot of time teaching that. Those are good things. I appreciate those things. But we have to teach them about, is it right before God? One of my favorite stories in the Bible is that when David um, had been off doing something, he came back and they had captured his wife and children and the wife and children of, of his warriors. And it said he stopped and asked God if he should go get them. Huh, duh, this is your wife. But you know what? I loved that heart. That even when it didn't, common sense says, of course you go get them. He stopped and inquired of God. What's the right thing to do? We need to be teaching our kids that. That you need to only worry about being right before God. If you're right before God, the other things will fall into place. You don't have to worry about anything else. But is your attitude right? Maybe your actions were right, but your attitude is awful. You know? Are your words right? We have to teach them to put on a breastplate of righteousness, not socially acceptable, not socially presentable, but righteousness. How can we tell what is toxic if we don't know what is righteous? How do we walk in that if we don't know what what is godly? So we have to start talking to them and teaching them and equipping them with that. Behavior can be controlled for a season, but a heart rules a life. 
And too often times we address behavior and not the heart. In our classrooms over and over again, I tell my teachers, address, address the heart, address character. If we address character, the other things will fall into place. But if we address the behavior, they'll be gone before we know it because they get tired of controlling that behavior. They'll go someplace that it doesn't matter. But if their heart is transformed, they won't be able to get enough and they'll be here all the time. And then they have to, sh they have to put on the preparation of the gospel on their feet. Um, they have to be ready to walk out and to walk in what the truth is. And um, I, thought about, I thought about this, I forgot to say it last night and th this morning, but um, sometimes it's a double-edged sword when they start walking in that. So a couple weeks ago, my father passed away, and um, I was in Texas with my family, and I was speaking to, was texting with one of our ECHO students. And uh, they were encouraging me and being very kind and thoughtful. And then they go, just before I go, what characteristic are you God seeing? See what characteristic of God are you seeing in the middle of this? And in my mind, I thought, I'm not because I'm completely emotional right now. <laughs> it kind of, you know, do you not understand I'm in mourning? I'm not looking for a new characteristic of God. But his feet were prepared with the gospel because I pulled back and started praying, God, show me a new characteristic of who you are. Show me that in this moment, in the middle of this hurt. And what he revealed to me, I was able to pour out to the rest of my family because his feet were shod with the preparation of the gospel. And he knew that in the middle of a storm and pain and hurt, that God was still God and could still speak to me. And he wanted me to be looking. He was ready. Then next, the shield of faith. Dun, dun, dun. <clears throat> faith is the assurance of the truth of God. Do I absolutely believe what he says? There came a point in my life, I'd been in the church a long time, and God asked me, how do you live out your faith? And so I told him. I attended church, I paid my tithes, I taught Sunday school, we did this, we did that. And he said, mm -hmm. those are nice acts of service. How do you live out your faith? You say that God can, over God can overcome any obstacle. Do you test it? You say that God is your provider. Do you believe it? When was the last time you stepped out beyond your control? I didn't like what I heard, but I changed my life. And it's meant the difference in my life. We have to teach them to raise that shield of faith when they aren't confident, when they're not sure, when it's scary. It is a choice. There's no one that can say, oh, that's no big deal. I have all the faith I need. I hate being up here. It is by faith that I am up here. <laughs> Truth. <laughs> Are we willing to teach them that? Because you have to look at them like you're looking at me going like, 
let her take a drink, let her take a drink, let her take a drink. We have to be willing to watch them suffer and be uncomfortable and cry and whine. When Tiffany was getting ready to go to Honduras, there were times when she'd say, just tell me what to do. I can't tell you. Because when you're in Honduras alone, no matter what I said, you need to know that you heard from God. Mama's not going to cut it then, baby. You hear from God, and I'll support what God tells you. That's faith. Why do we need faith? The Bible tells us we need faith to quench the fiery darts of the enemy. We like to think that fiery darts are evil things. And so if our kids are not um, out partying or doing really, really bad things, um, then we think we're okay. Um, Matthew? We... Devin, I told you not during service. Shut the game off. Fiery darts are distraction. It is anything that distracts us from pursuing God. It doesn't have to be evil. It doesn't have to be a distraction of our children. Parents, we have distractions, right? We miss moments to teach and to train because we're busy on our phones or watching TV or running or doing whatever it is we do. We put them in front of distractions so we can have a minute to think. I've been there. I do understand it. I used to love, people would say, I had a long commute when I worked. And people would say, don't you hate it? I'm like, "Mm mm-mm. It's quiet. You know, I like that hour. But we have to be careful of distractions We have to balance that. We have to encourage them to know how to get their mind on the things of God and keep it on the things of God. We have to look for things that are not bad things, but things that are distractions. Those are the fiery darts. We can be led astray by a perfectly good thing, but it takes up our time, our energy, and our thoughts. Give them the shield of faith. Teach them to go to God to see what they're supposed to be doing. Finally, not finally, I got a lot more. Um, (laughs) Next is the helmet of salvation, and this one was kind of tricky for me because I keep thinking salvation is a heart issue, so why put a helmet on my head? Um, But as I started looking into it, I realized that not all helmets are the same. Um, When I ran the nonprofit, we, you know, it was all kids who had no money. It was was really for kids who had no opportunity, and then the nonprofit had no money because we were always scrambling just to keep afloat. But I had somebody who offered to uh, take a spelunking, you know, go into the, mount, uh, the caves and, and do some stuff, and the only thing we had to do is he said, every kid has to have a helmet. And I said, well, we, we can't afford helmets. I don't know where to get helmets. And he said, just find any helmet you can find. So we did. And we showed up, and they had football helmets and bicycle helmets and all kinds of crazy helmets as we went into the the caves and looked around. But they were perfectly happy. But, you know, God tells us specifically that we have to have a helmet of salvation. And so I think about what that looks like. One of the things I've asked um, the workers in the early childhood to do 
is that every week that they tell those children, God loves you. He created you with such a special purpose. He can't wait to get to know you more. He's pursuing you. And that they pray. And then we continue that through every age level. We say it over and over and over again. When Tiffany was three, a little over three, um, she went with Dennis and I to an Easter play. And I didn't really expect her to get anything out of it. But for weeks after that, she'd say, we'd get in the car and she'd say, Mama, tell me Easter play. And so I would tell her the story. I got sick of telling the story. We were in the car a lot. And uh, I didn't want to do it, but I just felt like I was supposed to. Mama, tell me the story. And each time she would ask a different question. One day she says, and Mommy going to heaven? Yeah, Mommy's going to heaven. Daddy going to heaven? Yeah, Daddy's going to heaven. Tiffy go to heaven? I said, oh, baby, you have to ask Jesus into your heart to go to heaven. She goes, ask. So we prayed. I prayed with very little faith. She's three, for heaven's sakes. What's he going to save her from? But we prayed. That night when I went to tuck her into bed, she had a blankie. She hands me the blankie. I said, Tiff, you don't want your blanket? And she goes, got Jesus. <laughs> never took the blanket again. Never sucked her thumb again. Did she have to make new commitments as her walk and as she matured? Absolutely. But the work was done there because she had been fitted with the helmet. We have to start putting the right things in their mind. It protects the mind their perceptions, their thought patterns. We have to start speaking to them early. The world speaks to them early. Watch cartoons. Watch videos. We have to start early. The sword of the spirit. The sword is both a defensive and offensive weapon, offensive weapon, right? It protects us and it helps us battle. But if you have ever taken a group of young people to Honduras and all of them bought machetes, you will know that it requires training. If they do not learn how to use it, there are just wounds and accidents. <laughs> and fear. I have to tell you there was a lot of fear. Um, so we have to train them how to listen to the Holy Spirit and how to use the word of God when uh, my oldest son was about nine he went to his first party that you drop them off at Chuck E. Cheese and you're supposed to leave them and then the mother who was having the party was going to watch all those boys at Chuck E. Cheese and I was a helicopter mom and my son was a handful and so as he was getting out of the car and I was panicking, I said to him real quickly, Adam, just listen to the Holy Spirit. And he goes, what does that mean? I said, well, if you feel something in your heart, just do it. And he's like, all right. And he shut the door and left. <laughs> I am so, that's why I'm up here training. Um, so when I went to pick him up, he said to me, Mom. I heard the Holy Spirit. And my first instinct was like, what in the Lord's name has happened that you had to hear the Holy Spirit at a party? You know, I'm like panic stricken. And uh, he said to me, a couple of the boys had learned to take the tickets out of the skee-ball machine 
without playing the game. And he said, I went over to get some tickets, and as I went over, um, I felt something say to me, this is wrong. And so I backed up. And uh, the other boys got set down on the sidelines, and the manager gave Adam tickets because he didn't participate. When I was about the same age, my father, who um, ran a very strict household, and one of the rules was that dinner was on the table when he walked through the door, um, we were, I was out with my mother running errands, and we got caught in traffic, and things were running late. And I remember my mom, in a panic, saying to my siblings and I, oh, please pray that your dad's not mad and that we get home quick. And so she prayed with us. And I'm in the back, worried about the evening, because the evening could go really badly if he was in a bad mood. And uh, my mom said, it's going to be okay. God just told me it was going to be okay. And it was. So a few weeks ago, as my dad got very sick and my mother was praying, she made a decision that wasn't really popular with some of the family. And she said to me, I prayed about it, and I know this is what God told me to do. And I said to her, then I believe it, because at nine years old, you taught me that we could hear from God. You taught me that you heard from God, and I'm behind you. She didn't know what she taught me that day. But I knew then that if I listened, I could hear the voice of God. And it's something that I know that I know that I know, and nobody can tell me any different. That even in those seamless, meaningless situations, God can speak, and I can hear. We have to teach them the word of God. We have to teach them who he is. We have to teach them how to use the scriptures. Not so they can beat people up, but so they know how to live. So they know where to find the answers. There was a time in my life when I wanted people to come to know Christ because I was fearful of them going to hell. But after walking with God most of my life, now I want them to know because of how rich it is, how wonderful he is, what a friend he is, how generous he is how kind he is, how freeing it is to know that, man, if I'm just right, I don't worry about anybody else. If I, and I'll tell you, there's been times, I've told you this before, if my husband and I are in an argument, there are times when God can, I'll say, God, I just want to be right before you, and he'll say, well, look at this. And Dennis will say, oh, so you're not going to fight? And I'm like, I'm a hot mess. You're going to have to do that on your own. i got to get right here. That's freeing to me. That's freeing. That's what I want. That is my passion for next gen. That is what I want happening in this church and in the ministries for next gen. We have lots of children, lots of really cool youth, and some amazing college-age students. I said in last service, and, and I'm, I'm always blown away, our college-age students, almost every one of them serve in at least one ministry. They ask questions about how to study the Bible, how to receive the Holy Spirit, how to make decisions. It's a great group. I'm excited about the future when I think about who they are. So, y'all are quiet. 
So you're sitting there and you're going, what does that mean for me? You're saying it's a church thing. What does that mean? Matthew? He looks at me and goes, yeah, yeah, I'm with you. I'm listening. I'm like, um, first thing I'm going to ask you to do is pray. Pray, pray, pray for the children of North Rock. In your daily prayers, God, I just ask that you minister. Raise up the right people. Keep their hearts tender. I love that the Bible says that God keeps, gives us tender hearts. Give them tender hearts. Let them know your voice. Let us speak truth. Pray for them. Pray for the workers. Second thing is love them. When you see them in a hallway, speak to them. Don't walk by them because they're not yours. They are yours. Speak to them. Begin to take note. You look nice today. Oh, you always look good in pink. Whatever. Speak to them. Speak to their parents. Do you remember what it's like to be a parent with a bunch of kids at home? Speak to the parents. When I was between 13 and 15, I was a very rebellious young person. I was a nightmare. My parents drug me to church every single service, which pleased the people. (laughs) So much so that the pastor's wife called my mother every single week to give her an update on how well I was doing. She didn't mean, she was worried. I, I do know that now. I'm friends with her on Facebook. God love her. But she was worried. I was out of control. And she had no idea what, what to do for me. And there was this older woman in the congregation. I was loud and wild. And she was quiet and sweet and mousy. And one day she walked up to me in church. She handed me this box. She said, I had my husband make you this treasure box. And I remember just giving her that look like, "Uh (laughs) uh-huh. And she said, every week I'm going to bring you a treasure. And I perked up a little bit. And she goes, I'm going to bring you a scripture. And I'm going to have you put that in the box. Uh Uh-huh. And she said, I'm just going to share with you who God is. Okay. Okay. I took the box, and I began to ridicule her. But every week, here she'd come. She'd go, Debbie, I have your scripture. Uh Uh-huh. But I knew enough to be nice. I mean, I I could get by with a lot of things, but I could not be disrespectful to somebody's face. But um, (laughs) we were big on compliance in my household. So she would bring me my scripture. And she would say, you know why this one means so much to me? Because this is what it tells me about God. And she would share. And I would take her scripture, and I would put it in the box, and I'd go on my merry way. It's been a day or two since I've been 15. Not funny, people. (laughs) It's been a day or two since I've been 15. And when I knew I had to preach on this topic, I knew I wanted to bring this box, because I still have it. And when I got to church last night, I realized I had forgotten it. And so I had to call my husband. It's not like I have it out in display. I've moved a few times. I've raised some children. I have a granddaughter. There's water under that bridge. And I called him and I said, I need you to get something and bring it to me. He said, what? I told him exactly where it was at, exactly what it looked like. 
and to bring it. You see, it is my treasure box. Because at a point when I was unlovable and didn't think God could use me, because people told me things like, why can't you be quiet, sweet, and calm? And I couldn't. She was telling me the promises of God. She was telling me who God was. And I began to learn to have faith in that and not in my ability to be quiet, calm, or sweet. It is my treasure box. I held on to it. She was not my teacher. I was not her responsibility. But she had been praying. And in her own way, she found a way to love. Will you pray? Will you love even the unlovely? Will you volunteer? <laughs> you know, I, I, I wrestle with this all the time. I keep thinking at some point people are going to realize that I'm older than most next-gen directors. You know, when you have to go mingle with next-gen directors and they're 25 and 26, you feel old. And you get a lot of looks. But I'm called here because they're my children. They're my heart. They're my heritage. What do they want? Trust me, I'm not dazzling them with my knowledge of current events. They just need somebody to love, listen, guide, and encourage. In a world where we have every entertainment, every opportunity, what we don't have is connection. Kids are taxied and shuffled and moved around, but they're not connected to. Are you willing to hold a baby and pray over them? Are you really willing to greet somebody as they check their child in? You don't always have to teach. I think that's our big fear is I have to go in and teach. You don't have to do that. But will you build a relationship? What are you willing to do? What are you willing to do for our children? Because that's where we're at with our heritage. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you for listening to this North Rock resource. To find out more information about North Rock Church, check us out at www.northrockchurch.com.